Hello. <laughs> it's great to see everybody here, and it's really um, an honor for me to participate in this gathering. I feel very grateful that we are coming together on this day to turn the gaze towards that which is the origin of these bodies. Every little molecule of this physical body comes from the earth. We are sustained through a whole life from things that are coming from the earth, all the food we eat, the air that we breathe, the atmosphere. And then when our bodies are done, you know, they recycle back onto the surface of the earth. So we are the earth itself, even though we don't fully realize that. So I'm, I'm very grateful to be part of this gathering. Um, when, to begin with, we have a, a bowl, a gourd with water, and we're going to make an offering to the earth itself. <clears throat> water is what makes life possible on this planet. Without water, there would be no life. And so we are going to offer this bowl with water to the earth itself and also to the ancestors that lived on this land, the Coast Miwok people. They lived here for thousands of years. And we're the last humans that really knew on this land how to live in harmony and in a sustainable way. So um, the word for water in Miwok is liwa. So Carrie um, is going to take the bowl. Yeah, if you could come up. Um, and we've already talked about where we'll put it outside. And then at the end of the day, she'll pour the water out and... Um, it'll be there throughout the day. So if you can go ahead, yeah. And while Carrie's out there um, doing that, I wanted to ask you if you could tune in to your own ancestors. These can be your own biological ancestors. It could be your spiritual ancestors. It could be the ancestors of the land you're connected to. And just tune in to that to the degree that you can, asking for their support, and their guidance for the day. The single field of awareness that we are a part of is beyond time and space, and uh, particularly ancestors that have skills that we need right now, uh, they're waiting for us to tune in. And with a prayer that we have the receptivity to actually receive the guidance and the support. I also um, want to acknowledge the fact that some of you are quite familiar with meditation and some of you may not be as familiar. So some of the material that I'll be 
presenting may be readily accessible and some of it might be a stretch, but what feels like a stretch, just kind of let it wash over you and see if it will take hold down the line. So when we were planning the day, you know, we each, you're going to have wonderful people presenting throughout the day. And later on, there'll be a lot of uh, guidance about, you know, how to come together, how to face things. And for my little section this morning, um, what I really wanted to focus on is basically perception and how our own perception relates to our spiritual practice and what the shift in perception is that we need right now. So I was asked to write a little description. I, I don't think you have it, but so I wrote this and I wanted to just read it to you. A wondrous aspect of ourselves as newborns is the experience of oneness with everything there is. This expresses itself as utter openness. The state of undivided being may be a faint memory in our adult minds, but it returns to us in the depth of spiritual development. Our lives and well-being are inextricably linked to the life and well-being of this planet, of this biosphere. At this time, the Earth needs us to remember what we have forgotten and recognize our absolute inseparability. So this theme is what I want to just open up a little bit with this little bit of time we have. So um, we all generally, most people love babies. When we look into a baby's eyes, the eyes connect to infinity. They are utterly open. And often when we comfort a baby, we feel, oh, we're, we're, we're sort of, you know, taking care of whatever their needs are and they relax. And, but as they relax, if you pay attention, there's an incredible relaxation in us. Because the baby, in effect, we think we're regulating them. They're regulating us. They're reminding us of what we have forgotten. And when we feel that there is such comfort, because we are all suffering from this disconnection, profoundly so. And the state of our planet is a direct reflection of that disconnection, of that forgetting. If we were to actually remember, if we were living from that place of knowing the inseparability of everything, of all of life, we would not be where we are. Um, so when we're born in this state, you know, in, in psychological language, you know, there's all kinds of ways of trying to explain, you know, the development of a baby, but in a spiritual sense, and, and particularly it's interesting if you ever are curious to look into the area of psychology that's uh, dealing with prenatal and perinatal psychology, the work of a particular man, Ray Costellino, is profound because some people are having memories of actually before their birth and when they were born. And the, the capacity that this newborn has to sort of be aware of itself and be aware of how it's meeting the world as it comes out. And those are, has, have profound implications for how, how we understand ourselves and the role, I mean, the the fact that awareness is continuous. 
before we're born, when we're born, after we die. That uh, experience that is accessible to some people gives us an inkling of the, of the uh, uh, timeless nature of awareness itself. So when we are born, depending on the cultural context we're born into, you know, there's all the belief structure of the culture that we're coming into. Uh, in indigenous cultures, because of their own beliefs and the way they've sustained a connection to the land and to the natural world, there are aspects of that oneness that are retained in the, in the life of an uh, indigenous adult. Whereas for uh, most of us that are you know, born into cultures based on development, economic development really, um, that kind of, uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> for that awareness to remain in, in the conscious mind. The acculturation process is so intense and it so disconnects us. It's, it, it, it goes through a process of censoring our own perception. And I remember, you know, I have, I'm a grandma now and I have an almost 10-year-old girl and a three-and-a-half-year-old grandson and watching them and watching this process of, you know, the loss of the wonder that they are... Uh, uh, that's accessible to them when they're little. And my granddaughter, I remember when she was about five, she, there were these two small trees in their backyard and she's on the tree and she's swinging from one and she's talking to the tree and every branch had a different name. And, you know, I just thought my job is to keep that alive in her. And so, you know, now she's almost 10 and you can sort of feel the, the effect of, of the culture, but it's still, you know, it's not gone yet. So um, anyway, all of us, this state of undivided being is in all of us. It's covered over. And so part of, part of the, uh, the task of, spiritual, of our spiritual life is first to train the mind so that we can begin to see below this huge scaffolding of concepts that we've accumulated that basically obscures what is actually true. Um, so I, before I, I go on, I was thinking that I might experiment with something that, just like, uh, that you could try yourself. <clears throat> just a few moments of, of meditation, and I'm trying to keep track of time here. Um, most of the time and in Vipassana, we meditate using some kind of anchor, whether it's our breath or um, the body itself. Um, but I'm going to invite you, just right now, sit as if you're going to meditate. And initially, what I'd like you to do is keeping your eyes open. Just let your gaze be down somewhere so you're not uh, uh, distracted by anything. And bring your attention into your body letting the eyes be like windows so that you're sitting and you're not going out the window. You're sitting within yourself. And one thing that you might notice is when we do that, there's a way in which that relaxation of the attention behind the window, if you will, it's a way of returning us to ourselves and potentially to the depths of what we are. Because the world is constantly luring us away from ourselves. 
And paradoxically, this feeling, as we tune into ourselves, imagining, you know, that we're staying behind the window of our eyes, if we stay there, we may notice that this generalizes, so that we may not necessarily be just bound by the boundaries of the body, but that in fact, as we return back into ourselves, there may be a perception of the whole at once. So I'm just going to let you just feel that for a moment. And then I'd like you to pick an object that is some distance from you, um, any object, and just look at it and see what your mind does. You might notice the shape of it, the color, and notice if you can, as you're doing this, try to pay attention to what's, what's happening with your mind. So look at the object. And you can get as busy with the objects as you want and just notice what that does to your perception. <coughs> and after that, then I'd like you to come back into your, yourself again. Come back to the window, behind the window. And then now, I'd like you to let your attention rest in the space between you and the object. This may not be as easy, but just if you can't, let the gaze settle in the space itself. Let the attention settle in the space itself. Even if in the periphery of your vision there are all kinds of shapes and forms, we're very attuned to shapes and forms. We're not very attuned to space. So let the awareness rest in space. And, and notice what happens. This quality that is present right here, right now. This is the depth of what we are. In this, there is no boundary. In this, the whole of the natural world, the whole of the earth, is a, is a continuity of experience. As you let your awareness rest in space like this, just let yourself feel (coughs) the earth, the whole natural world. Let yourself feel each other present in this moment. Let everything that is be part of your awareness while you let, let your attention rest in space. So that all that exists is existing within the space that has no limit. And that depth of knowing is our birthright.
you might experiment in your own practice with these techniques. My uh, teacher, Lama Dreme, who's my Dzogchen teacher, uh, uses the object and space. He calls it separating milk from water, like the swan. Um, I wanted to read you uh, something from Zen Dogen. I read this almost every single time I teach. It's just, I, I find it so profound. There is a path through which the incomparable awareness of all things returns to the person in Zazen, and whereby that person and the enlightenment of all things intimately and imperceptibly assist each other. Grasses and trees, fences and walls demonstrate and exalt it for the sake of living beings, both ordinary and sage. And in turn, living beings, both ordinary and sage, express and unfold it for the sake of grasses and trees, fences and walls. These various mutual influences do not mix into the perception of the person sitting because they take place within stillness without any fabrication and they are enlightenment itself. In the footnotes for this section, he goes on, the active realization embodied in self and supported in self-fulfilling samadhi includes not only humans and other creatures, but even the land and the soil, the grasses, the trees, fences, walls, tiles, pebbles that Dogen mentions. Even things usually considered inanimate objects in Western philosophy vitally partake of this awakening and mutually resonate to encourage the subtle, mysterious Buddha guidance or influence in us all. So that we are all, we, it is a single sphere of awareness and the whole thing is evolving, evolving towards the recognition of itself. And as human beings, you know, as part of the natural world, it's been an incredible evolutionary process to get a mind that, like this, that can actually know itself, recognize itself, with the wisdom and the understanding that we're capable of. And so what we're doing with our mind has terrific impact on the whole. And the, so the potential of our presence in the environment is profound. And I wanted to just mention, you know, this land, for example, I remember the early days when this uh, spirit rock first moved here and, and uh, when it began. I mean, there was a certain feeling to the land. What you find now is quite amazing because over the years that we've been here, and with the way that attention has been paid to the land and the, kind, the way the mind has been used at this site, it has an effect on the land and the land is reflecting that back to us. And it's, you know, when we feel lost, you know, I was driving up here feeling a little nervous about this morning and the minute I crossed the bridge, I could settle because the land took me and settled me. So, you know, when you meditate at home, after a while, your place will get a certain feeling. And when you're lost, it'll bring you back. So, um, I was on retreat once at the Ojai Foundation, which was a sacred site to Native people. 
And then, you know, people have tried to live there. I mean, many different teacher, spiritual teachers have, have been there and taught there. But they continue to carry on uh, the ways of relating to the land that were a part of the native culture. And so um, there's a continuity of relationship of a sort that I haven't seen in too many other places. And what was remarkable, I was there during the spring, is that the animals behaved unlike anything I'd ever seen anywhere. The bunnies would be on their backs in the sun <laughs> while we're sitting around. We would be having dinner and the snakes were going into the hole right next to us. So the owl was sitting on the tree right above. We saw bobcats. We saw even a mountain lion. And so, you know, animals are still eating each other, but somehow there was a level of relaxation in the whole environment that was profound. Here you see the turkeys, the deer, are quite tame. Wherever there's that level of human consciousness, the whole landscape evolves to a different level of manifestation. And the level of, rela of relaxation you feel in the land at Ojai and you feel here is beyond what I have seen in virgin forests, which had no human intervention. So I just want to mention that because our conscious participation in relating from the depths of what we are, which allows humility, respect, reverence to be there in the relating, allows the whole thing to evolve. And that's our role as human beings. That's the, the privilege of having this kind of mind. And our, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you, you know, it's like I feel for the rest of my life, this is what I want to be able to put out, is we need to wake up, we need to wake up now. The, the kind of world that uh, my, gran my grandchildren will inherit will not be the world I've known. It's already, the changes are so huge. But we can prevent things from going even further and being more disastrous than they already are going to be. Um, and in terms of moving beyond despair, I, I just wanted to uh, support the argument by Albert Einstein, which we love to quote said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. Also at the time of the atomic bomb, he said, a new type of thinking is essential if humankind is to survive. And he also said, imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world. And this piece about imagination is important because as we open ourselves to be, to be informed by nature, it really will uh, go against the walls of our conditioning. We are so enamored with a rational mind that we have censored our capacity to receive the teachings that are waiting for us to receive from the natural world. And I went through about a two-year period where I was so depressed about what was going on ecologically. I just was paralyzed. And finally, one day, I just went outside and 
in my little tiny garden and, and started talking to Mother Earth and I, and I told her, I'm going to make a commitment to you. I will listen to you. I need you to teach me. Teach me. I will listen. And believe me, I forget. And the other day it was the, uh, the uh, uh, lunar eclipse and I decided I would stay up that night and do all kinds of practices in the Tibetan tradition. It's a very important time. And so I'm there, you know, I see this amazing eclipse, you know, I had never seen the moon turn red like that. And it was this magical moment when the light of the moon was, had that quality and the, the mist, the fog was coming and going. And finally, it's 1 o'clock, 1.30, and I decide, well, I'm, you know, I'm done, I'm going to go in. But I, again, and I said, you know, Mother Earth, I, I've just been felt really disconnected recently, and I, I need to get a sign from you that, that, you know, that you're hearing me. Or that, and all of a sudden, an owl started hooting right, right in a tree right nearby. I had not heard an owl for many months now because the neighborhood, they have cut so many of the pine trees. I used to hear them every night, particularly the barn owls screeching. I hadn't heard them until that night. So this kind of dialogue, I can tell you many stories. I don't know how much time I have left. Could you tell me? Two minutes? Oh my gosh. So the stories will have to go. Um, one of, one of the, a young man in a dialogue group where we're uh, exploring our relationship with the earth, he was uh, also trying, you know, all distraught, trying to figure out what to do, what to do. And for him, the big breakthrough was to become utterly receptive. And in that state, all of a sudden, he could perceive the mycelia of the mushrooms. Like all of a sudden, it's as if all the mycelia were accessible to him, and he started feeling their capacity to actually uh, do so much of the healing that we need. Mushrooms are actually able to transform all kinds of toxins. But all of a sudden, it's as if he was in communication with the mycelia of the mushroom. And since that time, his despair left. He has been active and able to do things. And I can tell you that since I started this dialogue directly with the earth, I have a strength that I didn't have before. I wanted to read you things from the indigenous people, and I, 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 and I won't have time, but I, we need to turn to our indigenous community. They have survived the impossible. They can teach us so much about how to relate and how to move through periods where we are at a loss as to what to do. And so I, I just want to say that, and, and, and you know, to the degree that we can, we need to create context in which indigenous people can come into our communities and, and you know, have the space to speak what they have to offer. One, um, one uh, saying that I wanted to mention, this is from my osteopathic teacher, um, second career now. He said, all healing involves a return to the origin. And Buddha, at the moment of his enlightenment, at the moment, you know, the peak moment of his spiritual development, what he chose to do was to touch the earth. And we often say, well, you know, he was calling the earth to be witness. To me, it was, it, it's, there's so much meaning there. It's like open-ended that that's, what he chose to do was to touch the earth. 
and whether it's thanking the earth or acknowledging his connection, you know, knowing that this is where the body comes from, whatever it was, the fact that he did that at that moment to me is incredibly meaningful. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just finish and just mention my original teacher was Carlo Rinpoche. And there's a, a quote of his that you've heard many times, but I always bring it out. And he said, we live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is one reality. We are that reality. When we understand this, we realize that we are no thing. Being nothing, we are everything. That is all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.